I'm Megan, I am the lead pastor here and this morning I have the privilege with you of opening up the Bible and us looking at it and hearing from God together. As we jump in, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us this incredible foundation to build our lives on. Thank you that you speak to us through the Bible Every time we open it, you're ready to speak. You're ready to say something fresh, say something new. And we pray this morning you do just that as we open up this passage from Job, as we think together about what it means to be people who can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, And God, I pray you'd speak something fresh, that you'd minister to us this morning in a way only you can do. In your name we pray. Amen. I still remember a sermon I heard about eight years ago now, um, and it was on the wall. I'm not sure about you, but I find it hard to think and remember specific sermons and specific, you know, um, detailed sermons when I I think back to the hundreds of sermons I would have heard over my life. Now, that is somewhat discouraging for me as I stand up here having spent a good day preparing this message I'm about to share. But I know that like food... The Bible is something that we feast on and that we need to feast on every day. So even though I can't remember the meal that I ate 10 days ago or 12 days ago, I know that it has nourished me and we know this about God's word. But eight years ago, I heard a message and it stayed with me. It really resonated with me. And it was like I knew there was something so crucial about that message Um, for my own spiritual journey and as I was about to enter into ministry I was preparing um, studying theology full-time and Charlie and I were living in Vancouver Canada as many of you know and I knew that this role I was going to enter into wherever it was it was going to involve walking with people through all the seasons of life in the valleys and on the mountaintop And then it was a couple of years later, it was a couple of years after that, that we returned to Melbourne. And shortly after we got back to Melbourne, some close friends of ours were expecting their first baby. And it was a few days before my friend, this girlfriend of mine, was going to be having her baby shower, which I was going to be attending. And I got a message from one of her very, very dear friends to say that these friends of ours had tragically lost their baby daughter at full term. It was one of those experiences where the situation is beyond description. It's beyond articulation with words. This is a Christian couple who we had been part of church with for four years. And at the funeral of this little girl, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ was proclaimed clearly and boldly. There was so much hope to be heard in that service. And yet... There was such a deep grief that day. I can't remember a similar funeral that I've ever attended. Um, Attending the funeral of a baby girl who had passed away even before she'd entered into the world. It was a couple of years after that that I started a leadership course called Arrow, um, Emerging Leaders, Leaders Course, and I've talked a bit about Arrow at different times. And on the first day of the course, the thing that we had to do, this activity we got given, was we had to map out our life journey on a large piece of plain white paper. And we were asked to, ma- um, to mark on this map um, these moments which we were told were crucible moments. I'd never really heard that word before, but these moments were moments we were told were um, moments in our life when we'd experienced a war, 
we need, we'd experienced something deeply difficult, tragic, uh, unexpected in, in, a, in a sad or difficult um, or, or very challenging way. And I remember sitting back in my chair a couple of years ago in this day um, with these new friends that I'd met and, and I, everyone else seemed to be getting on with their life map, drawing their you know, life journey as a river and there was a twist here and there was a change there and the river went broad here. And I sat back in my chair and I thought to myself, you know, I haven't ever really experienced a crucible moment. I haven't ever been at the wall. But it was soon after that I had my first wall experience. Out of nowhere, we had something traumatic happen in our family that I wasn't expecting, that I didn't see coming. And it was very painful to come to terms with. I felt I'd hit a wall. I felt sad and uncertain. And I didn't know what to pray or even how to reach out to God um, or even to begin to pray. Like, how would I go about doing that? Many of you can identify. I wasn't sure what God was doing in the situation. I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I remember that week, the Bible scripture I did read and reread and reread was Psalm 23. It's very well known. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it goes on. And in God's incredible goodness, I was reading that psalm because that was a psalm that a few months earlier I had discerned to set for that week to preach. Um, it was a quite an incredible thing. And I remember that week, um, whether or not you received a lot from the message, I received so much from that scripture and that God ministered to me through that scripture in a way that was quite incredible and transformative. He did something in me in that little season of probably three months or so um, that I'd never experienced before. By God's grace, I moved through that wall to a deeper place of trust in God, to a deeper place of resting in God and relationship and closeness and friendship with God. Some of you are sitting and probably thinking, yes, I've been there. I've been there. My second wall was a couple of years ago now. Um, it was during the first year of our daughter Zoe's life. Um, and they say that wall experiences are times when it feels like your life has been turned upside down. My second experience of the war was during my maternity leave year with Zoe. I was negotiating for the first time the incredible challenge of being a new mother, a new parent. And like a lot of new mums and some new dads as well, I was feeling isolated. I was feeling lonely. Um, I was at home a lot. And for people who are more on the extroverted than the introverted, on the E&I, uh, that's a challenging thing. Oftentimes, I was not feeling that I was doing a very good job of being a mother. I had challenges with feeding Zoe, and I was tired, 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 as all new parents are. We've got a number of new parents in our community at the moment, which is awesome. And I remember there was this one afternoon, I can specifically remember being in the lounge room with Zoe, and I was just counting down the hours and then counting down the minutes to when Charlie would walk through the door and I would be able to fall apart with an adult there, um, which is so unique, isn't it? When you're with a baby, you don't often feel like you're with, with company in the same way as, um, as with uh, somebody that you love who's an, an adult, a peer. And when Charlie got home, I'm sure I looked like a basket case, but I broke down in tears and I just said everything that I was feeling. It all just came out. Um, 
and I was able to let out, you know, I feel this and I don't feel like I've got any friends in this season and who, who are my peers and I'm off work and I used to have identity through that and now I don't have... We've all we've been there if you're new, uh, if you've been a mother and made that transition um, and we've all made big transitions in life too. But for me, there was a wall season in that first year of becoming a mum that felt really hard and very uncomfortable. One of the most common images of the Christian life, um, which is both biblical and, and through Christian history, is one of a journey. And I talked before about being asked to map out my uh, life as a journey. Jesus' call to us is, follow me. There's this idea of momentum and, and uh, a journey which is going to unfold when we follow Jesus. And who here knows any journey that you've been on, holidays or um, road trips, has its ups and downs? Um, it has detours, it has uh, valleys, it has times when we get stuck, times when we don't know where we're going, um, we feel lost, but there's movement on the journey, isn't it? We're moving somewhere. Jared, can I have my slides? That would be awesome. In the first week of our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series, um, which we're, we're tracking through through these winter months at the moment, though it's starting to feel like spring, which I'm excited about. But in the first week of our series, uh, about four weeks ago now, we looked together at this diagram on the stages of faith. Um, it came to me from a guy called Mark Connor, who has um, until recently been the senior pastor at City Life Church in Melbourne. But this, uh, this diagram, it's sort of a, a bit of an evolution from a number of different people, and I've named them up there on the screen. But this is a really, really helpful diagram, and I commend it to you. Please check out that message on our podcast if you missed it, because a number of you have commented on how helpful looking at these stages of faith has been for your own awareness of where God has you on the journey. We talked just very briefly to recap on that Sunday about stages of faith not being necessarily, you know, you always move from the first stage of awareness to growth to contribution to the wall. It could be that you flip flop around a bit, but that very often in our Christian journey, this is the cycle that we find ourselves on. So there's an awareness of God, there's growth as we come to know Jesus, there's a contribution we make, we get involved in serving and we realise we've got gifts to offer. Um, and then there's this place we come to down the bottom there, which uh, in his book, um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which I'm basing this series on, Peter Scazzaro calls the wall, the wall. Um, and one of the things that I think captures so well and is so helpful um, in, in tandem with this is this amazing image of an iceberg. Did you know that about 90% of an iceberg sits under the surface of the water? Sometimes our lives can be like an iceberg. Sometimes there can be huge areas of our lives that are yet untouched by our faith. In Jesus, we can become stuck if we don't pay attention to what is under the surface. We can plateau. We can kind of coast in our faith. We've all had seasons, if we've been tracking with Jesus for a while, of kind of standing still and kind of being stuck and kind of thinking, I'm not really moving forward. 
And so this series and my invitation to us through this series is to dig deep in what is under the surface. What are the things in my past, in my story? What are the things that God's doing right now in this season I'm in uh, that God wants me to pay attention to so that I can move into all God has for me in the season and the seasons to come? And so this series is all about getting to know ourselves better, having an awareness of where we are on the journey and getting to know God better and being able to step into all God has for us now and in the future. And it's about allowing Jesus access to our iceberg. That was my challenge three weeks ago. You know, to invite you, church, to really go, okay, God, what is under the surface? What are the things that perhaps I haven't brought to you or haven't surrendered to? What are the parts of my life that I like to maybe keep over here as a different category to my life with you, God? And today, we're going to talk about the wall. This is a place where about 85% of Christians get stuck. We get stuck. It's a place we're all going to visit. It's a place um, that you perhaps have already visited and maybe you've been there a number of times. The privilege is mine so often of hearing your stories, hearing what God is doing, hearing where you've come from. And I love to do that when someone visits our church and, and connects in for the first time, you know, have a coffee and find out who you are and, and you know, what, what you get excited about and what God's been doing in your life. But the likelihood is if you haven't visited the wall, you will visit the wall. And if we don't have a theology big enough, an understanding of God and scripture that's big enough, we will not withstand the wall. We will end up either getting completely stuck and not moving forward, or we will end up, um, you know, perhaps running from the wall and kind of going back to perhaps a safer place where, where perhaps we're not going to end up growing like we will if we actually look for where Jesus has us in the, the wall in that place. And we all miss out on all the good things that God has for us past the wall. And our scripture for this morning as we look at this topic of the wall, our scripture is from Job, the book of Job, it's chapter 42. And many of us um, last week loved hearing from Oyan, our guest preacher. Who loved hearing from Oyan last week? It was just such a good message, wasn't it? Such a great communicator, so clear. Um, I think a number of people said, does he want a job at Williamstown Church? <laughs> Which was so cool. Uh, I don't believe he, he's looking for a new role, but, you know, I'll put it out there. Um, but Oyan last week said a text, a scripture, without context is a pretext for a con. The idea that as text or opening the Bible without giving context, it is so dangerous, isn't it, to not give the context to, to a Bible scripture. Context is key when we're looking at the Bible. So what's the context for the story of Job before we look at this piece from Job 42? Well, Job's a book which is all about the difficult question of suffering, of God's relationship to our suffering. And it's a book which I know many of you have read it. It really invites us to trust God's wisdom and character in whatever season we are in. Job's story is a story of the wall. So if you're at the wall, this is an amazing book to get into. Job, in his life and his biography and what unfolded in his life, he had every reason to get stuck in his relationship with God. In the opening um, chapter of the book, we are introduced to Job. We're told he's wealthy. We're told he's the richest man of his day. 
He, um, he's godly. He fears God, the scripture says. And he's married and he has 10 children. Um, now, I recently had a coffee with a guy. Um, he's a, a, a friend in ministry. He has six children. And as I sat across the coffee table down at Provisions with him, I kind of thought to myself, gee, it's feeling a bit busy at the Jung household at the moment with one, two and a bit year old. Um, I don't know how you went, David, with six children. But um, he and his wife um, flourished and also experienced, you know, of course, huge challenge raising six children. But Job and his wife, they had 10 children. And in terms of wealth and status and power, he, he was like the Bill Gates of his day. And in one day, in one day, Scripture tells us he lost it all. He loses absolutely everything he has. This passage we're about to read, this comes right at the end of the story of Job. And Job is speaking to God. So let's look together now at Job 42, and it's up on the screen. You're welcome to open it up as well on your devices or in your um, hard copy Bible. But I want to read it for us, and it's taken today from the NLT. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, Job saying, I questioned your ignorance. Um, sorry, I questioned your wisdom, God. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. He's realising God's picture, God's big picture. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And this is our key verse for today. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And I've added the emphasis there in verse 5. Job is a guy who has struggled with God. Has anyone here ever, ever struggled with God? Give me a show of hands. Yeah, I think hopefully all of us, if we've got a real faith and it's authentic, we've struggled with God. He's lost everything. And right at the end of the story of Job, there is this amazing line. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Something transformative, something has happened in Job's life and his story. He'd understood God before to a certain level, but now he's been on a journey with God. He's been at the wall and he can say these words. And as a good friend of mine says, you can know it in your Noah. Has anyone ever heard that phrase before? I kind of like it. He knows in his Noah that God is there. And God has been with him and God is good and God has been at work even in the wall, the deepest, most tragic wall which he's experienced. And he has encountered God and moved through the wall to a new place of depth of relationship with God that he would never have ended up at had he not met God and reached out to God in the wall. And the same can happen in our lives. If we're aware of the wall, if we let God into our lives in the season of our life when we, we believe we're in a wall, we're going to experience God in a whole new way than we've ever experienced God before. And, and I think this is what resonated with me so much eight years ago when we were living in Vancouver and our pastor preached this message on the wall. I'd never heard about this before. But I thought to myself, 
I've seen other people encounter such deep suffering. Faithful followers of Jesus go through things that are unimaginable. And yet, and yet the faith we hold to is something so much more robust than the experiences of life, even experiences of tragedy and grief, which are unexpected and so difficult to cope with. On the other side of the wall, you may be doing the same things you were doing as a person pre-war, but you're a different person. Um, Peter Scazzaro in the book says, the wall is a difficult place to visit and is a really difficult place to be at for a long time. How many know that's true? But it's the only way we develop into mature people. Um, in this book, um, the, the big kind of tagline is it's impossible to be spiritually mature whilst being emotionally immature. It's impossible to be spiritually mature whilst we're emotionally immature. So there's this idea that, that these go hand in hand. So we're going to briefly explore three questions as we dig into this topic of the wall. My first question, how do we find ourselves at the wall? How do we arrive at the wall? Well, for most of us, the wall happens to us. The wall happens to us. We don't go looking, but there's a crisis that comes, a situation that arises where our world is turned upside down. Our spouse has an affair. A close family member dies or a close friend dies. Uh, we get diagnosed with something that we just had absolutely no idea was coming. We could go through a disillusioning church experience. Some of us have been there. One of our children might go down a path that uh, we'd never imagined they would go. Um, you find yourself single with a desire to be married that's unfulfilled. We find ourselves married with a desire for children that's unfulfilled. And we begin to question God, whatever the wall is, and there's so many other situations I could have named, but we begin to question God and we discover the faith that we've known so far seems to sort of no longer fit or, or, or perhaps be broad enough or robust enough to, to sort of weather the storm of the wall that we're in. Some of you today, you're at the wall. Some of you today have been at the wall and you've come through it. Some of you are not there, like me when I reflected a few years ago. Well, I don't think I've had an experience like that. But we will all be there at some point. And we all need to, do, need to know, what do we do in this place? What do we do? How are we called to follow Jesus at the wall? For Job, his life had been one of prosperity and enjoyment. He was someone who today we would say was upwardly mobile, you know, um, get the university degree and then get the graduate job, you know, and then, you know, start to save for the, more, the house and meet somebody and get married and kind of seems like life's just kind of opening up for this person and there's more opportunity and, um, and, and some of us have had that trajectory by God's grace. But for all of us, there's, there's a, a different pathway. But you would say Job had an upwardly mobile trajectory in his life. And all of a sudden, he loses it all. All of a sudden, he goes bankrupt. His children die in a natural disaster. And can you imagine what that must have been like? This is a real person in biblical history. This isn't a made-up... This is a real individual. This is a real couple. We can't imagine the grief that they must 
have been experiencing. And on top of that, Job gets so sick, he gets kind of a leprosy. It means he has to leave the city. And Job's wife, advi Job's wife's advice to her husband, we find this in Job chapter 2, verse 9, um, has to go down in history as possibly the most insensitive advice of, of all time. So if you've been someone who's given bad advice, take courage. Job's wife is up there probably in a, in a worse position than you. But um, this is what she says, curse God and die. And so these brutal words, you know, spoken by his own wife to him. Um, but at the wall, even in the darkest place, we know from scripture that Job was, it was quite clear he was probably suicidal at this point. He says he curses the day he was born. Um, now here is a mental health situation right in scripture for us, someone who's in a mental health journey, in a mental health struggle. You know, this really elevates for us the importance of needing to talk about mental health and talk about what it really means to grapple with things that are so real for us, um, thoughts and, and, um, and things going on for us in our mind and heart that are, that are so difficult. But even at the wall, even in the darkest place, um, Job cries out to God. He cries out to God. But then something really unhelpful happens. As if his wife's comment wasn't enough, he has these three friends who show up. And these three friends through a very long part of the book of Job say some incredibly unhelpful things. If you don't know the story of Job, really encourage you to go home, have a good read of it. Their view is that Job is suffering so much because of his sin. Because of his sin. And this was not true. Job's suffering was not a result of his sin. And this is one of, the, one of the reasons, only one reason, there's so many reasons, but why this book is so helpful for us in our Christian journey. Because it speaks over our lives that there is not always a link between sin and suffering. That is one of those errors that some of us have been told in our church backgrounds. But, um, but we've all had unhelpful friends, haven't we? We've all had the unhelpful friend say the unhelpful thing, whether or not they follow Jesus. And we can learn a lot from the story of Job about how to be a helpful friend, about how to abide with someone at the wall and not say the wrong thing or not make a big theological statement that we're not even sure is true. So to recap, we find ourselves at the wall because crisis happens, life happens, something deeply difficult happens. So what good things is God going to do in us as we journey with him through the wall? What, what is the good news here to tell about the wall? Well, back in the 1500s, and you know when we talk about people from back, you know, 600 years ago, 500 years ago, they've got to have something incredible to offer. But this guy, St John of the Cross, has something amazing to offer because he wrote this poem called The Dark Night of the Soul. Has anyone here ever heard of that phrase? Yeah, a lot of us have. There's this incredible um, way of speaking about the wall, and he called it this, the dark night of the soul. Sometimes you hear people talk about it when they're talking about, you know, something going on in their life, or maybe they talk about their, you know, you're getting to know someone, a new friend, and they say, well, that was a time that I really was in the dark night of the soul. Um, not just a Christian term, certainly a term people use. But um, this guy, St John of the Cross, wrote that the ordinary way the ordinary way we grow in Jesus is to have dark nights of the soul. Interesting. The ordinary way we grow in Jesus, not, not an unusual way, but the ordinary way is to have the wall, to be at the wall. 
where it seems like everything is a disaster. He said in order to grow into deep communion with God, there has to be a purging, a pruning of things in you, things in me that are not of God. These things need to be removed so that you can grow into deep relationship with God. And there's a number of references in scripture to this idea of pruning, of, um, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you know, all those things which are not of God need to be taken and removed, um, said Jesus. Because at the wall, at the wall, that's where we let go of things that are not of God. Um, That's where our need to control things, uh, and you guys all know I'm very open about being a control freak, but that's where the control freak in us is broken in ways that no other thing can break. We let go of things we're holding on to and things are broken that, that we ourselves can't on our own in our own effort break off. This past uh, week or two in our house, we've had a number of different illnesses, um, and I'm sure the same is happening at your house, especially if you've got kids or kids around. But um, this past week, Zoe had um, an ear infection, uh, her first one. I'm told that between 18 months and three years, children are most likely to get ear infections because of the growth in their ear passage. Is that right, the GPs in our midst? <laughs> but um, Zoe, um, Zoe had, has had this ear infection. But one thing that we all know about kids is that they can't take their own medicine. It's something only Charlie or I can do for her. And, and something else I'm learning about having a little toddler is that they don't like medicine very much, especially, <laughs> especially if it doesn't have a strawberry or an orange flavour that's, you know, marketed by Panadol or Nurofen. But there's some things only God can do in our lives. Um, and he wants our good. And, you know, Charlie and I are trying to, say, you know, get wrestle Zoe to the ground and say, this is to make you better. Remember, Dr. Sylvia said it was going to make you better, and she says the word better, which is great. But there's some things only a parent can do. And there's some things only God can do in you and in me. It's things like dealing with our pride, things like dealing with our comparison, how many of us compare ourselves um, in a, you know, com- incredible manner I know I do it's things like when we trust in the wrong things when we trust in money or status or put our value in the wrong things things like entertainment or popularity but God can do an incredible work in us in these areas that that we can't do in ourselves and he can change us in ways um, that that can happen only through his incredible work by his spirit but like giving medicine to a toddler it's painful at the time it seems miserable it's hard um the the one who's on the receiving end is not open to it is not wanting it didn't desire it to come um and we've also had to give zoe eye drops no eye drops no eye drops she says you know um amazing how switched on a two-year-old can be about medicine and what's going to hurt and what she doesn't like but when god does this work in us though it is painful god can fill us in a way that he cannot any other way or channel or avenue. We think the wall is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. But actually, we are going to grow. We're going to end up in a place with God that is so transformed and so different to where we were before. And it's actually the best thing, though at the time, is so difficult. There's some people in our lives, in our community that we we know, and they they seem to go through such incredible suffering. But I wonder whether through their suffering, their story, God is at work in a way that 
He perhaps isn't at work in someone like me who hasn't had more than a couple of crucible moments so far. For our friends who lost their little baby at full term, they've gone on to, um, by God's generosity, be able to have a little girl and now they've got a little baby boy. And they've often spoke, um, spoken about how they have experienced God's love in the most profound way. They've had joy in the most profound experience of joy that, that they'd never experienced before the other side of the wall. And Job here in chapter 42 of Job, he's been a broken man, but now he has changed. He's a different guy. And he says these words, um, Job 42.5, I had only heard about you before. Maybe some of you are thinking, that's me today. I've heard about you, God. I'm aware of you. But now... He says, I have seen you with my own eyes. In Job 42, um, God calls Job servant four times. And this word servant seems to us like, well, there's a bit of a distance there, a bit of a power imbalance, maybe not that intimate. But the word servant, when we actually dip deep dive into the meaning of it, it's a word which indicates intimacy and closeness. There's a level of closeness that... Um, that Job and God have now that they didn't have before. So through the wall, there will be good that will come. We are going to experience a love with God, a closeness with God that we've never experienced before. And just finally, what do we do when we hit the wall? We need to be equipped, don't we, to know how do we go about you know, managing, navigating, um, journeying through wall well what does job do he reaches out to god he has unhelpful friends and yet he keeps reaching out to god and he stays with god and he waits on god and eventually he moves past the wall and god prospers him once again he lives to be 140 years old and job um, is given by god uh, 10 subsequent children it's like there's this um, restoration, which scripture is speaking through the story of Job, is a restoration that comes, these 10 children who were lost, these 10 children given. Church, there are rich, rich treasures to be found on the other side of the wall. While we don't always know why we suffer, and there's always a mystery, isn't there, to the suffering that we experience, there are rich treasures to be found if we can bring our pain and bring where we are to God and trust that he is wise and that he knows what he is doing and that he's doing a good work in us. If we will be faithful to God and stay with him and wait on him and we're not going to recognise ourselves on the other side of the wall and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've journeyed through the wall. That's how deep the change is. It's like when you, you see someone. I remember there was a guy who came to our church last year. And when he first started coming to our church, he was a broken man. And he was so open about his struggles and where he was. But actually, he came and visited our church. He, he didn't come again those next weeks. But he came a couple of months later. And my own Charlie, he said, um, I think it was after that service, he said, oh, who was that guy? I said, oh, that was, you know, this... No, it wasn't. And I'm saying, no, it's the same guy. No, no. And his posture had completely changed. He'd had a transformation. He'd met Jesus. Praise be to God. Um, that man was Mark. 
Mark, who passed away about six weeks ago now, he'd experienced such a transformation through meeting Jesus that his whole posture, his demeanour was completely different. And so we know that Mark is with God because he had given his life to Jesus in surrender. A couple of weeks ago, um, I had a really sore throat and I wanted it to get better. And so I had to make a really conscious effort to do something that I don't like doing and that's not talking a lot. But, you know, when we're at the wall, something that is super helpful for us to do and perhaps not to do is to talk less and listen more. To talk less and listen more, listen to God. And we're actually becoming, we become comfortable with that, is a surrender in that. It's easy to, to follow our feelings and let our feelings govern, you know, our faith. But I love this idea that our, actually our faith can govern our feelings. That we look to, what do we know about you, God? We look to scripture and say, let that govern what I feel. Um, such an important truth for us. And that's, I think, when we know we're growing up, when we know that we're moving past the wall is when we're saying, I'm just going to go back to the journey of faith there, when we're, when we're in a place of surrender, when we're in a place of paradox, you know, God is good, um, there are things that happen, there's, there's mystery in what's going on in the brokenness of the world, and yet I will still trust. And we talked a bit about that on the opening week of the series. But church, as I close now, and as we, as we come before God in prayer, I just want to encourage us, what is the death that we perhaps have gone through, a dying, a, a, a giving away, a, a moment of going, God, I know you're at work, a wall that we have gone through or are going through and that God wants to bring rebirth through. What is the rebirth that God is desiring to do in you? The Christian life is a, is a series like the Easter story of dying and being raised. We sang about it earlier, by your spirit, I'm going to rise from the ashes of defeat because the resurrected Jesus is resurrecting me. He's doing something new in me. As we go into our week, let's be a people who believe that God is at work at the wall. And let's be a people who, like Job, reach out to God at the wall and don't run from the wall, but actually say, God, I know you're going to do something through this season of my life. Show me, Lord, what you're doing. Let me stay close to you. And, and I encourage you, church, abide with Jesus at the wall. Stay close to him at the wall. Even when it seems that it's hard to know what to pray, that's okay. But that posture of being open to what God's doing. Before the service this morning, I had a privilege of talking to, um, to one of you about a journey that you've been on, this journey of, that's been a cyclical kind of a closing the loop around something that died, something that was difficult, something that felt like a wall, but something that now has been restored, praise God. There's been a new birth out of this experience. And I get the privilege of hearing so many of your incredible stories about God's, what God's rebirthing in you. And so as we pray now, let's just posture ourselves before God. Um, let's, let's surrender our stage, wherever the stage we are, and let's just meet with God in this moment of prayer. Jesus, we thank you that the Bible promises that you will always be with us, that you stay with us, and that you 
rebirth things in us that have died, things in us that we have laid down. God, for those of us at the wall today, I pray the Spirit will have done an incredible work and will be doing an incredible work of, of meeting us, ministering to us, speaking your wisdom into our situation of where we are at the wall. God, may we be a church community that stands brother to sister to brother in times of, of, of the wall. May we be a church where your spirit is so, um, is so concretely here that we experience you ministering to us. God, I pray for those of us who haven't yet experienced the wall that, God, you, through this message today, be imparting a, a readiness, a robustness in our faith, something deeply foundational around what it means to journey through the wall. And God, I just pray for restoration for those who have come out of the wall. God, would you be restoring anything that has been lost? God, would you be doing a work of redeeming all that has felt um, that there's been a death, redeeming it um, so that there is something new and beautiful and good that we know you want to give and that we know you will bring. So we thank you for meeting with us through the scripture today. God, would you do a work this coming week in our lives that only you can do in drawing us into communion with you and in helping us be a blessing to those people that you've placed around us. In your name we pray. Amen.